0: The NBA All-Star break is still going on, but we've got you covered with the latest news and updates on Locked On NBA. Today's show will be a rundown of the Eastern Conference. We'll go through each division,
1: looking at what each team's goals are at the start of the year. Then we'll talk about what's happened so far and where every team stands now. And then lastly, we'll break down what to expect over the last 20-plus games of the season and what fans can look forward to on today's Locked On NBA.
0: Are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back and Fan FanRag Sports. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramill, a credentialed
1: NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation, fans side, Fan FanRag Sports. You can follow me
0: and my writing on Twitter at DRamill13. You may be wondering who these dudes are. What happened to David Locke? Locked On NBA is revamping the format, and while David Locke will still be hosting the show, on the days he can't host from around the Locked On podcast network, we'll be in charge.
1: So Wes and I host Locked On Heat, a show you should definitely be listening to. We host that on a daily basis, and we'll be your host for Locked On NBA every Tuesday. During this revamped format, we'll be reviewing last night's games, talking about the main storylines of the day from around the league, and previewing the most
0: important games of the week. Of course, uh, every team right now has played more than 50 games, and while the All-Star break isn't exactly the midpoint of the season, it's still a good opportunity for us to s- kind of reflect, look at where each team stands, and, uh, and review what to look forward to over the next two and a half months or so of the season. We'll be looking at all 15 teams in the Eastern Conference. We'll start with the Atlantic Division. We'll kind of just break it down through alphabetical order, and then we'll move on to the Central Division and then the Southeast Division, doing the same thing. So let's start there, David, with the Atlantic division. Um, And we're going to start with the Brooklyn Nets. They're 19 and 40 so far, 13th in the Eastern Conference. Um, Still not a good team after not being a good team for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: it's going to be a slow process. And I think everybody went in there knowing that it was going to be one. They made some positive moves over the summer. So I think their storyline is kind of continuing to build a positive team culture. They've got their head coach, Kenny Atkinson, who's very well respected around the league. Mm-hmm. He's trying to change things. They've got a new front office with Sean Marks. Uh, it, it's it's kind of building towards the future, but laying that groundwork, that foundation for a positive future
0: now. So I think that's the main theme of the season. They got a, a couple of nice players there, right? Spencer Dinwiddie is a nice player for them. Um, Jared Allen, the center that they took in the first round this year, he's looking really good. Um, and look, they got Chris LeVert. Like they've they're getting the young talent that they need to kind of become more competitive. Obviously what Brooklyn's missing, that maybe another uh, team that hasn't been so good in the past like them is like the Philadelphia 76ers, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. What they're they're missing obviously the Ben Simmons, the Joel Embiid type player. But they've got a bunch of good role players and it's just a matter of them hitting on the right ones at some point. And again, it looks like they've they've been doing that. Um, they just they need to find probably a star, but that's much easier said than done, right? And that's just, I guess for now, they're going to keep getting taking bad contracts in the cap space when while they still can acquire draft picks where they can, and then just hope that hope that they get lucky in the draft and or maybe a free agent signing here and there. And that's really what's what it's going to be until they start getting their draft picks back. But for now, you, I mean, you mentioned Atkinson; that front office seems to you know the the Brooklyn front office seems to trust him. There's going to be there's more and more stability in Brooklyn than ever, and that's a positive. And so so that's where they are now going forward. It doesn't matter how many more games they win or they're just really they're really just at this point looking for um, just, I guess, more production and more development from their young guys. Right.
1: I think you you brought in Jaleel Okafor and I think you're hoping that he'll take some step towards a positive development. Um, That hasn't been the case so far. He continues to struggle, but it's about long term growth for him. Look, this is a team that doesn't have, you know, historically they haven't had a lot of draft picks over the last few years. Everybody knows the situation with Brooklyn, but they're not nearly as dysfunctional as they were in the past. So it's about trying to get these players, help them to develop in whatever way possible. And I think that's what you look to do over the next couple of months of the season. You know, there's no draft pick in the future, so there's nothing really to play for. It's not like they're going to continue to tank or anything like that. So play hard, get the most out of every player there, and, and try to make an impact. They could play a potentially a spoiler role. Mm. So look for them to win a game here and there that might they might not otherwise. They've done that throughout the course of the season. So they play very hard. They always give a constant effort. They just may not have the talent, but I think they're taking steps in the right
0: direction. I mean, obviously, they're not winning a whole lot of games, but I kind of like watching Brooklyn play. They play hard. Uh, They're well-coached. You could tell that there's there's a foundation there that they're working toward. Another team I enjoy watching is the Boston Celtics. Look, they're just like the Nets. They're well-coached. They run a fun system, uh, a lot of passing, things like that. But they also have a guy named Kyrie Irving who is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, And the Celtics are second in the East right now. Forty and nineteen. Toronto took that first place uh, seating over right right before the All Star break. Boston was in a little bit of a rut those last couple of weeks. They dropped some games there. Uh, David, are you concerned at all about where Boston is at? Is this? I mean, to me, it was a blip on the radar, but I understand why there might be some concerns about what the Celtics are doing. Well, I think it goes back to
1: the the start of the season and what the trajectory of this team is moving forward. Obviously, there was some potential for them to represent the Eastern Conference this year with the acquisition of Gordon Hayward during free agency and, of course, the trade for Kyrie Irving. On top of that, they've gotten some great development from young players like Jason Tatum, their rookie, and, and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, who, who have been pre- impressive players for the Celtics this year, despite just being in their, you know, second or fourth year somewhere in there so they're they're been really really solid for boston but at the same time hayward's injury on opening night changes what this team is playing for they're no longer considered the strong title contender that they once were because well although they have kyrie irving and some great great role players they're still missing a, a key component of their offense and that's hayward so what is it that they're playing for right now they started off with a really really hot start obviously it's tapered off somewhat. Part of that is because guys like Tatum have, have hit the rookie wall. Um, you know, Brown hasn't been as productive mm-hmm. as he was at the start of the season. So it, it's about, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. Obviously, they're a very, very good team. They're not a legitimate title
0: contender, at least not this year. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the Hayward point. I wrote about this after the trade deadline because a lot of people are wondering, well, should they have made a move for Tyreek Evans? They've got all these first round picks coming in in the future. They could have traded one of those for Tyreek Evans, right? And and that would have added some scoring because right now the, the Celtics have a hard time scoring. They're the 21st ranked team in the league in offensive rating. Um, I mean, you look at who – like the Magic score more points than them a game. You know, Charlotte scores more points than them a game. Obviously, their defense has been keeping them in it, and they do a nice job, um, you know, closing games with Kyrie Irving and Brad Stevens coaching, and, the, and they have, they do a good job closing games at the end. But um, there is a concern here about, look, when, when push comes to shove in the postseason – Kyrie Irving's not. He's not. He's not going to be able to just score every time you need points, and that's not a knock on Kyrie Irving. It's just he's one guy. Like no one player has ever been able to do it, right? Um, so I, I think when you you know when you talk about Gordon Hayward. Maybe he'll be back for the postseason if you believe some of the murmurs that are out there, but most likely he's not going to be 100%. It's going to be really next year that they're playing for. So I kind of understand why they didn't make a move at the deadline, right? Because, like, okay, you could trade one first-round pick for a Tyree Evans rental for what? To lose to the Warriors in the finals at best, you know, even if you get there. So I get why they didn't make the move. Um, That said, Gordon Hayward next season is really going to help this team. And right now I think what what, what this is about and kind of moving forward for the Celtics, maybe Celtics fans don't want to hear this, but – you're right. It's they're not a legitimate contender right now, despite how good they have been. And it's really about seeing, you know, what guys like Tatum can do, what guys like Jalen Brown, how much better he can get, uh, how how much better Kyrie Irving can get, and then just fitting in Gordon Hayward, uh, maybe when he returns or when he um, when he gets back next season, and in the playoffs specifically, figuring out okay, what are teams like Toronto and Cleveland and these other guys targeting us on and how can we improve on those things during the summer to make sure that that's not a weakness for us next year we're really going to make a run at this thing you know
1: yeah they've exceeded Um, expectations i think everybody has to be happy with what boston's done this year but on the flip side of that another atlantic division team that hasn't really met expectations has fallen short of that for quite some time the new york knicks everybody's favorite knickerbockers at 23 and 36 11th in the east What's been the story for them? Obviously, it's the same as it has been in years past. Uh, you know, there's new new front office there, same coaching situation with Jeff Hornacek. Still some struggles there. What's your overall take on what the Knicks have done this season, and what's uh, what's to look forward to, if anything, out of the Big Apple? Tanking. I mean, they
0: they should be tanking. They should they should tank. Like like this is a team that like remember the Knicks. They started off pretty well. They started off hot there. In the yeah. beginning, and be like, oh, look, the Knicks, like they might be good this year. Uh, you know, and his canter is looking really good for them. Christoph's Porzingis. Now, now look, Porzingis is gone. There is nothing, like, they're not making the playoffs. They, I don't know, they're in a weird position right now because Jeff Hornacek might be work, coaching for his job at this point, and, and tanking is a really bad way to do that. But look, if you could go to that front office and say, look, let's tank. Uh, and I'm going to lead you through this thing. Maybe that's a way to save his job because I don't know what else. They're not making the playoffs, especially with Porzingis gone. So I don't know what like he's he might be just kind of dead man walking at this point. But if you're the Knicks organizationally, you've got to make a decision here. Enough of picking at you know six, seven, eight. Like you've got to tank and and try to launch your way into the top five of this draft because they need somebody. Look, I like I like Porzingis obviously. Um, he, he, you know that's that's a franchise player. Um, I like Frank Ntilikina. I think he could do some things for you, but you're going to need somebody else there too. You're going to need somebody on the wing. Um, not, you know, Michael Beasley is probably not the answer there for them. So, start getting into that top of the draft and start putting talent around Kristaps Porzingis, and then just stop with these try to quick fixes all the time and just build something for once.
1: Look, I mean, they they've exceeded expectations somewhat in the sense that this was. The first year after trading Carmelo Anthony to the Oklahoma City Thunder, they've made Chris Tams Porzingis and clearly so the centerpiece of the team. That's the way it should have been a year or two before. Uh, the reality is that Porzingis is a very good player, but there are concerns there about his longevity because I think we're starting to see at seven foot three these injuries continue to pile up and you wonder whether or not he's going to be able to play a full 82 game season sometime in the future. Uh, but at the same time, this year is all about continuing to develop these young players. A guy like Frank Nelikina, a lot of Knicks fans like him. He's still very raw. He's a long-term project. A guy like Tim Hardaway, who they re-signed mm-hmm. in the and free, free agency this summer. You know, he he's been a, a solid player for them. He still has his problems, but I think he's not necessarily lived up to the huge contract. They took a lot of guff for that, and rightfully so. But at the same time, he's shown that he could be a competent
0: scorer and, and, and you know, complimentary player. His usage, but they do his obviously... usage is a little high, right? Like if they could get one other guy there to sort of take some of that ball away from him a little bit, I think he'd be more effective, maybe in a more limited role, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, they, they do need somebody there to
1: be the star of this team to complement a guy like Porzingis, mm. uh, and, and they have they don't have that on the roster right now. I don't think Nilikin is going to be that guy. He's just not. He doesn't project to be that kind of offensive player. Uh, he's a great defender. He's going to have some flashes here and there, but they need somebody else, like you said, to score off the wing. So they'll need to be able to find somebody like that in the draft. So for this year, it's all about positioning yourself for the best possible pick. They've got their draft pick. Take advantage of it.
0: Go for the tank. Let's talk about these 76ers, David, because I know they're they're one of your favorite teams to talk about. I know from our Locked On Heat uh, show that uh, you're you've been a little low on Philadelphia a little bit this season. Now I want to ask you, this is the main question I've been wanting to ask you all weekend now after the all-star break, after watching Joel Embiid in the all-star game, are you a believer in Embiid? Are you on the Embiid tra- hype train? Or are you still stubbornly against it? <laughs> Listen,
1: I, I never questioned his ability. <laughs> I, I thought it's still there. You know, he's obviously a very, very talented and skilled player, but There's just something about the -the off-the-court antics that rubbed me the wrong way. And some of the -the on-the-court antics as well. I know he's just trying to have fun. That's fine. Maybe I'm a little joyless. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that
0: he's definitely Did you see that? Did did you see that video of him talking to uh, Al Horford about if he really thinks if Michael Jordan is the best player? Yes, I did. Al Horford didn't want – like, Al Horford looked awkward. Like, awkward (laughs) AF. Like, just didn't want – he was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't want to be talking to you right now like two, <laughs> two opposite personalities. I loved it. Um, look, the yeah. 76ers, they're they're up and down, right? The 30 and 25 right now. Um, so they're, they, they're improving. They were 500 before. They've got Joel Embiid there. They've got Ben Simmons there. I think in the All-Star game, you really saw Embiid sort of fit in on the court with the biggest stars in the game, right? Like, he was obviously one of the best players on the court there. He's in the running now for Defensive Player of the Year right now Is there's a lot of hype around him for that. Um, mm-hmm. He's... We don't need to tell you how good Joel Embiid is, but um, I think my takeaway from that All Star game was this is what it might look like, you know, in a postseason setting where where Embiid could just be a dominant force against some of the best talent in the league, right? If the 76ers are going against the best the best teams, you know, in a seven game series, Embiid can hold his own, and that is a a huge uh, development for them if that's the case, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. And, and that's been the storyline of the season, you know, for a team and a fan base that's been asked to trust the process for years, it looks like they finally lived up to that. They've got a number of young players there, despite the fact that their number one overall pick, Markel Faults, hasn't taken the step in the right direction that a lot of uh, people thought would happen. Uh, it, it doesn't change the fact that this team still looks like a legitimate playoff team. Right now, they're seventh in the Eastern Conference, so they're holding on to that playoff seat. That's going to be the key for the rest of the season, though, is can they show that kind of consistency? Is Embiid the kind of player who can really carry this team in clutch moments and make sure that they lock down this playoff seat? You know, ben Simmons yeah. is a fine player, maybe a little angry that he didn't make the All-Star team. There's some holes in his game, but he does a lot of things very well. So somebody has to step up. And it's not quite clear who that person is. They've yeah. got some nice role players there with J.J. Redick and others. J.J., of course, got into some – uh, hot water over the all-star break so that's a, a storyline to keep track of as well whether or not there's any kind of repercussions for him but for Philadelphia it's about making sure that they can stay consistent
0: as they you know, hold on to this uh, you know lower seed in the Eastern Conference playoff race we'd be remiss not to talk about or at least mention Markel Fultz and that whole weird situation I mean that's still an ongoing process for lack of a better word that they're dealing with um, but like Markel Foltz the idea of Markel Fultz, right? What he was as a as a draft prospect coming out, a guy that's the sort of player that Philadelphia can use. I mean, you talked about like can Embiid take over at the end of games? Can Ben Simmons do that with his shooting problems? Um, I don't think they can. I think they need a guy like Markel Fultz, or at least what Markel Fultz was supposed to be as a top pick in the draft, who could create his own shot, create his own shot for others. Because Ben Simmons is really good at creating shots for others and getting to the rim, but isn't he's not necessarily like that ISO guy that you could trust at the end of games. Joel Embiid. As impressive and as good as he is, you, he's not like a ball. He's not a ball handler. He's not a creator, even though he's impressive for a seven footer at, in the, in that regard. Like a guy like Fultz, who can shoot from three point range, theoretically, cre- you know, create shots off the dribble, things like that. I think that's what they sort of need because that that offense tends to bog down at the end of games when defense is really key in, and that's what defenses are going to be like in the postseason at, at the end of games in the postseason, especially. Um, yeah. Talk- for, for-
1: Well, just a a quick aside for all listeners. If you haven't read the piece from Kyle Newbeck over at Mm. the Philly Voice, Mm -hmm please do so. It's an incredible breakdown. Kyle's a good friend of mine, and, and he, he did an incredible job breaking down what's gone on with Markel Fultz and how the shot has degraded since Summer League, where he had a really impressive showing, and then all of a sudden things took a, a turn for the worse as training camp started off. So definitely do yourself a favor and go check that out. Yeah, it's long,
0: too. It's one of those bathroom readers. Um, but it's a lot of information that's necessary. Uh, Toronto Raptors, the last team in the Atlantic Division, first place in the Eastern Conference, 41-16 and 16 right now. Um, you know, during the All Star break here, and the third best team in the NBA right now—could we say that if we were doing our power I rankings? I think that's fair. Okay, I think that's fair. You'll, you'll have some—you'll have some people clamor for the San Antonio
1: Spurs, and rightfully so, just because of their consistency. But I mean, they're making the most of what they can without uh, Kawhi Leonard, and obviously, they're still a very good team. But I, I think their ceiling is significantly
0: lower than Toronto's at this point. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Lowry's playing great DeMar DeRozan probably the best year of his career um another all-star out there who didn't have a great game uh or a great finish of that all-star game good good first three quarters but not a great finish there um you know I think with Toronto you probably have the deepest team in the league you know with that with that vaunted bench I mean they're killing guys with the, they're killing teams at the bench I mean the starters have always been sort of been the headline for um uh for Toronto in the past you know and yeah. now it's really that bench is being is their strong their strong point, but that becomes less of a factor usually in the playoffs. And if yeah. we're gonna look forward, like that's, I wonder, you know, does Dwayne Casey, who's doing an awesome job coaching them this year, coach coach the East in the or coach Team LeBron or however it works in the in the All Star game? Um, does he stay at like nine or ten guys? Does he shorten it to eight or nine guys? Like that's gonna be, I think, the question for them.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and listen, that was the overall theme for this season is the fact that they kind of revamped their offense, went to a lot less ISO heavy ball, uh, changed how they, they swung the ball around the perimeter there. And it's paid off. And Casey has done a fantastic job of implementing a new system and getting the most out of the players that they have in the roster and obviously getting their bench to step up in key moments. So he's done, a, like you said, a phenomenal job how he makes these adjustments in the playoffs. And although it's a tired narrative, it still applies. I mean, there are still a lot of fans around the country and around the world that are curious to see how Toronto responds in the
0: playoffs. Hey, and That's that's, always going to be what dogs them. And that's, that, that should be the case. Like they haven't, they've only advanced in the playoffs one time, you know, in in these last few years during this, this Lowry, Dwayne Casey, DeRozan era and Lowry and DeRozan, like there's going to be questions about those guys and Toronto fans hate hearing it, but like it's, it's true. They don't play well in the playoffs. Like, that's not – it's not a narrative being peddled out by the media, right? Like, look at the numbers. They are some of – they are the worst all-stars in the postseason and have been for a long time. They need to be better for them. Like, that bench, it might be good, but like I said, that becomes – like, they need more from Lowry and DeRozan in the playoffs. Hopefully, for DeRozan, like, the, the addition of the three-point shot, right, helps them in the postseason a little bit here. But, you know, you watch these Raptors games still, and they still have those tendencies to play a little isolation heavy every once in a while. I and, and like I said, DeRozan at the end of the All-Star game, he reverted back to old DeRozan ways, which is just kind of like holding the ball and not really doing a whole lot with it and struggling to get his own shot. Um, and, I, and you you have to worry that that could come back to bite them. And that leads us into maybe who might be the favorite in this in this Eastern Conference, is. we'll talk about that team next as we wrap up the Atlantic Division. Um, we're going to be breaking down who might represent the Southeast in the NBA playoffs later. But we'll next we're going to be moving on to the most drama-filled group in the East, and that is the Central Division. So, I teased this a little bit. Let's talk, let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Obviously, revamped at the trade deadline, they lose a bunch. They get rid of Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, they bring Amon Shumpert. They bring in George Hill, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance Jr., um, Jordan Clarkson. They're thirty four and twenty two right now, still managing to hang on to being third in the Eastern Conference. Um, but they obviously they were the favorites entering the season because they had LeBron James and period end of story. That that fell off a little bit. Boston was the number one team for a long time. Toronto took the number one seed recently. Cleveland, after their moves, though, do you still think that they're the favorites in the East, David? I don't actually. I, I'm kind of still leaning
1: towards Toronto at this point, but it's it's a, t- a much more difficult following the trade. Look, I think Cleveland's ceiling is higher now following the trades, just because they were able to get mm-hmm. you know. They were. It was the case of, and I've said this before, addition from subtraction. The locker room had become so completely toxic that it was necessary to kind of move some of these players there, although I think Isaiah Thomas is probably a better player than George Hill. But it's also about being able to complement LeBron and letting him do what he does best, which is dominate a game. And so the team that they currently have, while maybe not as talented as the players that they they moved out, are much better suited to compliment him and, and take them further. So it, I'm kind of curious to see how they incorporate Kevin Love when he comes back from injury. It's going to be a really interesting close to the season for them, whether or not they're going to continue to have the kind of fun that they showed over the last three games following the trade deadline, whether or not they continue to play at that high level. The guys like Jordan Clarkson can light it up from outside Rodney Hood a very inconsistent player lot guys uh you know a guy that a lot of Utah Jazz fans are familiar with as far as his inconsistency there were times there where he can be a really dominant player and a, and a hell of a scorer off the bench but there are other times when he can fade away and not give you much of anything and so you wonder how long that can last in Cleveland a guy like LeBron obviously he doesn't have the patience for that so we'll see if these players can continue to produce at a high level complementing LeBron James to allow him what he does best
0: uh, LeBron is obviously in a good mood he was in a great mood during the All-Star break uh, Team LeBron winning the All-Star game I think was uh, something that he really wanted to do so he's going to enter this next half in a good mood which is great that's I mean getting good mood LeBron is like kind of acquired like if 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 nothing else if Cleveland if all Cleveland did at the Ched deadline was make LeBron happy for another two months right. that is a huge win for them having an engaged LeBron is it makes a difference for them and I think they are the favorites in the East I think who benefits the most though from this trade deadline was Kevin Love, because you rid yourself of the Isaiah Thomas project, right? Like you, he was playing with a high usage. He was shooting way too much, and that's because maybe partly they were trying to get him acclimated quickly, right? Like it was a kind of a fast start program for them to start to try to quick quick start his uh, rehab, I guess, and um, getting healthy. You know, you had Derrick Rose there. You had Dwayne Wade there, who wasn't shooting as much, but still needs a certain amount of touches. You just had a lot of guys who sort of needed the ball, specifically in the backcourt. You get rid of all of them; they just got rid of all of them, and now this is going to be a very LeBron heavy team. But Kevin Love is still a dominant low post player. I mean, I wrote about this after the trade deadline, uh, and I meant and I was looking up Kevin Love's um, post up possessions, and he's a better post up player than the Marcus Aldridge is by uh, on post up points per post up possession. Uh, I think I want to say his he's averaging 1.01 points per post-up possession versus um, Aldridge, who's at, like, 0.98, which is still, like, really, really good. The difference is that Aldridge for San Antonio is posting up more than 40% of the time, and Kevin Love is posting up less than half of that. I think it's at, like, 19% or something, which is – look, obviously the league has sh- trended in a way a- a- away from post-ups – but when you have a guy like Aldridge or, or, the, uh, or Kevin Love for Cleveland, you've got to sort of lean into what they do well, and that could create a lot of really easy offense for them. And I think there's going to be more of those opportunities there for Kevin Love now that you know the headache of Isaiah Thomas and all these guys are gone, and he is the clear number two, right? Because they were trying to force Isaiah Thomas into that no- number two role, and he just wasn't ready to do that, uh, and I think Love is there. Does Kevin Love take over the center position for Tristan Thompson when he comes back from injury? I hope not. Okay. So I, I you think, see him
1: better suited to the four.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I just I I think when you you know you it, it, what was Cleveland was playing like LeBron at the four, because Love is injured right now. And after the like those three games after the trade deadline, they were playing Love at the four, Chetty Osman at the three. I think Osmond goes back to the bench, LeBron moves back to the four, and Love plays or LeBron moves back to small four. LeBron plays power forward for them. You have Tristan Thompson. You need Tristan Thompson because he gives you a semblance of room protection. I actually like the idea of playing love at the four and Larry Nance at center and maybe starting games that way and bringing Tristan Thompson mm-hmm. off the bench as like a spark rebounder guy. Like get him back to getting those because his rebounding has dropped off this year. Maybe he'll be better coming off the bench and you play played as like kind of like this pick and roll finisher kind of guy that he's better at than Tristan Thompson is. I mean, he could double tap it off the uh, during a dunk contest, and I don't think Tristan Thompson can do that. So, um, <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, 20 and 37 right now, 12th in the Eastern Conference. You know, the, the year after, the year post-Jimmy Butler, right? But looks like they've stumbled on some guys. Chris Dunn looks good for them, um, much better than he did in his rookie season in Minnesota, certainly. And Larry Markkinen has been just awesome right yeah and and that's really what you could look forward to this is a team that's been beat
1: up and again rightfully so for a lot of the moves they've made they've come across and again rightfully so for being very stingy not paying players uh having a less than perfect training staff as well so they've done some things badly that Gart Pack's combination in the front office of of uh, uh you know Jim Paxson yep. and Garth Heard have really struggled to make some good moves there so it's been It's been a long time for Chicago fans. Uh, They've struggled through some hard years there, and there was some hope last season when they had the three alphas, but this is a new team, and it's about the future now. It's a brighter future than anybody would have projected. So I think that's what you look forward to for the rest of the season. Again, no playoffs contention, really. At 17 games under 500. they they're not looking to make a move in the Eastern Conference. So it's about continuing to develop Laurie and. Make sure he doesn't get hurt. You don't want to hinder his development in any way, and, and just continue to build around the young pieces you have. Zach Levine is going to continue to get integrated into the offense slowly but surely as he bounces back from injury. So, it's they've got a nice core there, uh, and maybe they can position themselves in the future for a, a, a nice draft pick or possibly a free agent. You know, maybe a veteran looking to make mm-hmm. some uh, some changes in their role. So. It's not as bleak as it once was, and I think you have to look at the positives in Chicago and see that maybe they do have a brighter future than anybody would have
0: expected. Uh, Levine looks good for them, man. Like he's come back, he's you know obviously he's still getting into playing shape and stuff, but he's he's showing flashes and he's got that that alpha dog mentality that he wasn't really able like he 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 had it in Minnesota, but there was so many other you know Carl Anthony Towns was really the, the the lead dog there. Andrew Wiggins had to get a bunch of touches, obviously so he couldn't he wasn't really able to play that role in Minnesota as much as he probably wanted to and he's sort of been able to do that um in these few games that he's played for Chicago he looks good for them i mean i've actually been pretty impressed with how he's looked um i'm with you man i i think they've done as well as they could have in that jimmy butler trade and I, a lot of people sure. killed him on draft night when they made the deal uh myself included like i'm not immune, immune to that but larry mercen is better than i thought he'd be uh, Chris Dunn was certainly like that wasn't just a throw in like they clearly liked something about Chris Dunn and he's playing much better than he did in Minnesota and Zach Levine looks to be like that's none of, neither of those guys are as good as Jimmy Butler and probably not won't ever like marketing could get there I guess theoretically but it's no guarantee that any of these guys will ever be as good as Jimmy Butler but with the three of them now you've got a full team they obviously failed to build around Jimmy Butler and he's Jimmy Butler is not as young as these guys so the window was tightening in on them, so it was. I guess it was really like, in retrospect, the right move to move on from Butler. Um, probably not in the way in which they did it, with like you know the garp in, in typical garpack's fashion, but um, it looked good. Uh, so these next few games, I mean, it's just really like you said about just watching the development, trying to hit again, and in the in dra- the draft coming up, and then just moving on and and just keep building. Um, so
1: while the the playoffs may not be in the future for Chicago a team that's definitely looking to make it to the postseason. The Detroit Pistons currently at 28 and 29, ninth in the East. They made some big moves, so clearly they're positioning themselves to to, uh, make a run for the playoffs. Obviously, the news recently in Detroit was the acquisition of oft-injured forward Blake Griffin from the L.A. Clippers. They traded away a number of role players still without Reggie Jackson, who's injured for a few more weeks and and may look to come back at some point uh, in early March. What do you think of Detroit's chances
0: for making the playoffs this year? I mean, I think they're they're a pretty safe bet. I think for the playoffs, uh, we'll see what happens when uh, you know, sort of the shine uh, and the energy around the Blake Griffin acquisition falls off a little bit, because I think you're, you're going to have that initial boost of adding a guy like Blake Griffin, um, but at the same time, he'll get more accustomed to playing next to Andre uh, Drummond. They'll get uh, and you know the rest of his teammates there in Detroit. I, I I was really low on Detroit before the Blake Griffin trade. You know that from our discussions on Locked on Heat. I always thought, like, look, if there was a team that was going to drop out of the playoffs, it was Detroit. I think the Blake Griffin trade really helps them this season. Um, and see, I'm not... Go ahead.
1: I, I kind of see, see it the other way, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be too difficult to try and get Reggie back once he does come back and make sure that that trio, along with Andre Drummond, work as well as possible. And I just don't know that Blake's As talented as he is, I don't know if he's the
0: kind of guy who can lead this team uh, from an emotional standpoint. The big if is if he could stay healthy, right? But if he's healthy, he gives gives them what they were – like we don't know what Reggie Jackson's going to be when he gets back, right? And Blake Griffin at least is – he's an extremely good passer. He can can initiate an offense. He's productive. But what if
1: those are just empty calories though? That's my feeling about Blake is that sometimes those 23 points – and rebounds and assists, whatever they might be, are kind of empty calories and whether or not he's the kind of player who can really, you can
0: build around, you know, is he a foundation
1: piece for Detroit? No,
0: but I think right now he helps them get them into the playoffs. Like short term, like these next 20 or so games, you know, he gives them at least an identity offense. They didn't have that minus Reggie Jackson. They didn't really have that with Reggie Jackson a whole lot, right? Like, yeah, they were running a bunch of high dribble handoffs with Andre Drummond. That was like a fun story for the first couple of weeks, but teams figured it out really quickly. And that was it. And that, Detroit was they had nothing after that. Like that was the only card they played it right away and then everybody figured it out and they had nothing after that. So it's not like Reggie Jackson was like some sort of great point guard and helping that offense a whole lot before he got hurt. They're just really bad without him. Like he's just basically keeping them afloat when he was in there. I think Blake Griffin just helps them stay afloat right now and get into that postseason. I, you yeah. know, I get it. Like they have a new stadium that they got to fill. Blake Griffin helps that. I like the move from a business standpoint for Detroit. Um, I just this it was like kind of the best option that they had, so I'm kind of in on the move right now, and I'm just I'm in for the excitement. It's kind of cool to see Blake Griffin in the Eastern Conference. It'll be cool to see what he could do in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference again if if he can stay healthy. Andre Drummond is better than DeAndre Jordan right now. I think that's a factor that we got to take into consideration here. He's a better passer. He's a better free throw shooter. Um, He's still he's younger and he's got a higher ceiling. It'll be interesting to see how that tandem works out. This isn't just like DeAndre Jordan 2.0. This is a guy who could potentially be a more versatile, better player than DeAndre Jordan was um, and is. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the next few years. But for now, I think it helps them get into the postseason at the very least.
1: See, I, I don't I don't see it. I don't know if the teams that are in the, the lower four of the Eastern Conference standings, you know, teams like Indiana, Milwaukee, Miami, uh, or Philadelphia, are going to collapse to the point where Detroit can capitalize on that and, and win enough games to surpass one of them in the Eastern Conference standings, so it should be an interesting playoff race, that's for sure. Even if none of those teams are really expected to uh, upset, e- or, or a Toronto or a Boston or a Cleveland, at the same time, they should be some pretty interesting matchups there.
0: Well, this is why it's one of the, the Central Division is one of the more interesting divisions because to those teams that they would need to fall out uh, or would need to fall out would be Indiana and Milwaukee, right? And a of, we'll talk about those teams right now. I mean, let's start with Indiana. Thirty-three and twenty-five right now, fifth place in the Eastern Conference. Victor Oladipo obviously is the story there, um, and how and you know the year after Paul George, they're probably having one of the most successful seasons ever. You know, posted outside of like the Denver Nuggets post Carmelo Anthony for that one season. Indiana looks really good after Paul George. Yeah, they've they've
1: done a phenomenal job. You have to give credit. To Nate McMillan for kind of keeping this team afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have handled the Paul George trade very badly and maybe kind of given up on this team, um, but he, he's managed to get everybody to buy in. They've they've dealt with a couple of injuries here and there throughout the roster, and they've still managed to play at a high level. And, and and yes, you can't take away from the fact that Oladipo has taken a star turn after no one predicted this when he was in Orlando or Oklahoma City. He's he's made the leap. Uh, he, he worked his butt off over the off season to get to the point where he is. And he's been a really dominant player. Uh, he's been happy there. He's free to do what he wants and, and to do it as effectively as possible. He's really found a niche there. And they've gone some really nice production from dudes like Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis and a couple others here and there. It's It might not be the most talented roster, but they kind of represent the, the area that they're from. Indiana is a hardworking team. They play at a high level. They make the most of the players on that roster. And they've made they really surprised the heck out of people. I don't know that anybody saw them. I don't think anybody saw them as a playoff contender no. for sure. And nobody saw them challenging for home court advantage in the playoffs. But here we are, you know, 50-some games into the season and they're fifth in the East and just a, a couple of games behind Washington for that
0: fourth seat. So it's really, really interesting how things have played out. You know they're seven and three in the last ten games going into the break. Um, Their point differential is solid at plus one point three. I wonder what they get outside of Victor Oladipo in these next you know twenty plus games. Uh, That's really gonna I think what is gonna determine whether or not they they hold on to this playoff spot because they've had seven and three streaks and they've had three and seven streaks. They they kind of go up and down a little bit there. Um, So we'll see how they finish the year. But I want to ask you this. We're drafting right now. There's two guys on the board, and you're drafting a team. You're building a team for now and in the future. Who do you take, DeMar DeRozan or Victor Oladipo? Ooh. Uh,
1: I take Oladipo, to be honest with you. I think, you know, we've seen the best of what DeRozan has to offer, and I think with the game evolving the way it has, he's, he's become a limited player. Like, uh, he, I think a lot of – I know there's been some change this season. He's not ne- nearly getting to the line as often as he did – but I think that's still too much of a reliant part mm-hmm. of his game. And that's great. You know, it's very effective for a guy like James Harden. DeRozan is not James Harden. Uh, I'd rather have a guy like Oladipo and take a chance there, to be honest with
0: you. And, and I think to talk a little bit more to, about DeRozan in the playoffs, people are going to LeBron James him in the playoffs a little bit and just dare him to shoot. And I, I, know, I still like, – the, the three-point shooting thing is a nice, a nice addition to his game, but I think it might be a little bit of a – it's not what he wants to be doing, right? And I think teams might force him into those a little bit. And in Victor Oladipo, what he does defensively—I mean, his stats going into the All-Star break were as good as Demar Derozan. And defensively, it's not even a question that he's better, and he's younger, and he can run a pick and roll a little bit better than Derozan. He's not—he's not as good as an isolation scorer as Derozan, but I think he does a little bit more things than Derozan does, and he's younger. So I would take—I would take Oladipo. I mean, they've Indiana really. You know, I don't think they knew Oladipo was this. They were they were high on him, according to reports going into the season. Nobody knew Oladipo yeah. was going to do this, and he's been great for them. Um, they, they, in, a, in
1: a recent piece from SI's Lee Jenkins, uh, they targeted him in this trade. It wasn't just about moving Paul George. It was also about acquiring Oladipo. I'm not sure how much I believe that, but at the same time, it's definitely
0: paid off. The last team in the Central Division we'll talk about is Milwaukee, 32-25 and 25 right now, sixth <clears> place <throat> in the East. Uh, going into the All-Star break, they got Jabari Parker back. He looked he had flashes. He was looking good. And that's – look, Giannis is obviously the <laughs> the best player on that team. Um, he is somebody who had been in the conversation for MVP earlier in the season. And if they can get into the playoffs, it's going to be because of Giannis and Tutankumpo. But, look, Jabari Parker is going to be a major factor for this team going forward because I think that they were sh- they were struggling to find consistent offense even with Giannis playing the way he was. Um, so if, if Parker is healthy – that's going to be huge for this team, and I think that's really what you're you're going to be looking at these next twenty plus games. Yeah, look, they fired
1: Jason Kidd, and for good reason. Uh, yeah, he was not getting the most out of this team. His his style wasn't working as effectively as many people had hoped it would. He wasn't getting the most out of them, particularly offensively. They were struggling defensively as well. So interim coach Joe Brunty has done a phenomenal job of making sure everybody has, has has played their role almost to perfection. They started off really well after he took over. They tapered off a little bit, but I think they're still a better team. So they, they're in an interesting position where they kind of had to adjust midway through the season and show aspects of their offense that they necessarily didn't you know, show during the first few months of the year. So I'm kind of curious to see whether or not their ceiling is, is markedly higher now, whether or not they're going to be a more dangerous team if they make it to the playoffs – Again, they're, they're six in the East right now. Um, you know, seven games over 500. That's been impressive. A lot of people expect with a player, the talent level of Giannis at that he's going to be able to carry this team to that over the hump. Uh, I'm not sure I see it necessarily with Milwaukee. I think there's definitely potential there. They look really, really great on spurts, and then they look pretty bad in others. Uh, they might be a year or two away mm-hmm. from being the dominant team in the Eastern Conference. But at this point, again, they're a legitimate playoff contender and they could be dangerous in the playoffs if they're during those, during, you know, if they're playing during one of those hot streaks, but it seems a lot less likely to give the playoffs and the structure and everything else.
0: Yeah. There's, there was a post kid lift on defense. Um, I think that that's going to fall off a little bit, um, you know, because they switched their defensive system that might've taken teams by surprise uh, that weren't able to scout it. That's going to, yeah. that's going to fall off a little bit. They didn't, they did not, um, you know, deal with the center need that they had at the trade deadline. Uh, probably because their big trade deadline move was firing Jason Kidd, um, yeah. so you know there's going to be some things there. But if they, I really this, you're right. Like this is a team that's not really going to compete now. They're going to try to get Jabari Parker back, see what he is, because they have a big decision to make on Jabari Parker this summer, and that's really what they, their focus should be at this point. Um, okay, well we broke down what to expect from the title contenders like Boston, Toronto, um, Cleveland. Uh, we covered a lot of these trade deadline moves so far, but we'll be moving on in our last segment to the Southeast Division, and whether any of these teams can stay stay consistent enough to gain home court advantage in the playoffs. Okay, let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. This is a very different Hawks squad than we've been used to seeing. 1841, 15th place in the Eastern Conference. That's good for last. Um, So everything going to plan for Atlanta so far, right, David? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, they knew what was going to happen this year. I don't think anybody expected to be a, a, a better group than this. And and look, I, I don't know if the tank is on. It certainly seems that way.
0: The tank is on. Uh, has any they, Has any team executed their plan for the season better than Atlanta? I would say no. Like their whole plan was to get the first pick in the draft, and they are right now – ready to get it like they are right there i don't know that any team has executed like even the warriors are having some they're struggling out there in in oakland a little bit i think atlanta has executed their plan to perfection so far
1: that's a good point although you know what orlando a team that didn't plan on being this bad this season is right there neck and neck as far as the worst of the worst overachieving orlando is
0: by underachieving they're overachieving
1: (laughs) Um, For for the Hawks, I mean, there's not much to look forward to. They wanted to see what they could get out of Dennis Schroeder. He's a focal point of that team moving forward. Uh, They got John Collins in the draft. He's shown some promise as a rebounder. He's got a lot of energy there. Uh, He can finish, obviously, at a high level around the rim. He's a very explosive athletic dunker. If you haven't watched him perform, go do yourself a favor and watch some of his highlights. They are jaw-dropping. It's been—it's not a fun team to watch. I'll be honest with you; they're not—you uh, know—obviously not a lot of fans there. But at the same time, not a lot of people around the country watching Hawks games, and for good reason—they play hard, but it's just—it's just not fun. There's not yeah. much in there on offense; they struggle to put up points, uh, and, and you know, they're playing for a future. So who knows how it'll all play out at this point? But for now, it's all about making sure nobody gets hurt and making sure they continue to lose as many games as possible, and, and working on that plan and making sure it comes to fruition.
0: And trying to decide who they're going to be taking at the top of the draft. I mean, if if the lottery plays out and they end up with the first pick, you know, I can, I trust this Hawks um, front office to make the right choice. They've done a good job drafting in the past. Um, shooter looks like a nice player for them. Uh, I've never been high on shooter, but you look at his stats. I mean, his his um, his pick and roll ball handling numbers are very high. He's in a in a high percentile on that as well as on isolation. Uh, He's a guy who can who can lead an offense. I don't know how to what point he can, but he's proven that he's able to do it um, at an efficient rate. You know, it's not this isn't just like big stats on a bad team sort of situation. I mean, he's efficient in doing it for the most part. Um, So I like that they've got some nice players around him. And then if they end up with this top pick, whether or not it's you know DeAndre Ayton out of out of uh, out of Arizona at center, or if it's a guy like Luka Doncic, um, you know I I trust I, I trust Atlanta to make the right decision and then to develop that player the right way, because they've done a nice job developing the nice young pieces that they have now that weren't picked as high as what, where they're going to be picking um, in June. So I don't know. It's not a lot of fun to watch. I I'll admit, I
1: have not seen a whole heck of a lot of Atlanta games, seen them here and there. And uh, unfortunately they're just
0: not, they're not very captivating. And they're not supposed to be right. Like they're, I don't think that they ever thought that they would be. I think it's, you know, They've got, I think they're going to, they're investing a lot of resources into players that aren't necessarily playing for the Hawks right now, you know, scouting and stuff. Let's move on to the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Another really hard team to watch, especially when they were without Kemba Walker for that little bit. Uh, 24 and 33, 10th place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, What is there to talk about Charlotte? Just another underachieving uh, season for them. They're going to miss the playoffs in three out of the last four years. Um, Obviously, Steve Clifford was dealing with his illness uh, for some of that. for some of the season he's back now, but, um, you know, this is a team that was thought about as a team that could just blow this thing up at, at the, at the trade deadline. They kept Kemba Walker. Uh, they, they, they unfortunately for them kept all of those big contracts and Nick Batum's the Dwight Howard's, the, uh, the Michael Kidd Gilchrist. like they signed a lot of guys in the last two or three seasons to big deals and the, they haven't paid off. Um, so Charlotte's in a little bit of a bind right now.
1: Yeah, it's it's bleak in there, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, They were hoping that they could build in the success from a couple seasons ago when they awarded these big contracts. They thought Kemba might take another step forward. He's been a really great player for guys like Nick Batum, Michael Gilchrist, and even their rookie Malik Monk have not had good seasons. So there have been some struggles there. Obviously, a guy like Frank Kaminsky, who's been with the team for three years, hasn't really shown that he's a consistent enough role player to provide much of anything other than the occasional perimeter shooting. It's not good there. And, uh, you know, Steve Clifford's a really great and underrated coach, but he hasn't been able to get the most out of this roster this season, maybe because he was out for as long as he was. And, and, and look, the team has struggled. Obviously, at 24 and 33, I think a lot of them internally, they saw themselves as a playoff contender. They've fallen short of that. They had a nice start to the season and then tapered off again. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see some of the fallout of that. Mm. Uh, special note today that – Uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that Charlotte's general manager, Rich Cho, will not be retained by the team. Uh, Owner Michael Jordan is uh, making a change. He does not like the way this team has come together or failed to come together. He wants something different. And he's reportedly looking to bring in former Lakers GM Mitch Kupchak, who played at University of North Carolina, of course, Jordan's alma mater, uh, thinking of bringing Kupchak in to lead the Hornets there. So make sure to check out Locked on Hornets for what this news means for the team and if Jordan has made the right decision but uh, for now i think the hornets season is basically a wash um make sure that nobody gets hurt yeah. uh, if not necessarily actively tanked and do whatever's possible to just make sure that nobody gets hurt for the rest of the year
0: rich cho is a media friendly general manager um but he didn't do a good job and i think like if you look at what's been going on there it's that's very obvious like there is no reason to bring in a guy like dwight howard there was no reason to Sign sign these guys who just didn't pan out. I mean, it just didn't it just didn't work. And a lot of times it's luck, but it was it was too many bad decisions. And and it's going to be Mitch Kupchak's problem possibly if they end up going with with Kupchak to to figure this thing out. Um, let's move on to a team that's close to home to both of us, David. We we host, we host Locked On Heat. We know a lot about the Miami Heat. That's our next team here. Uh, they're thirty and twenty eight uh, at the All Star break. They're eighth place in the East, barely clinging on to that eighth seed um after being in the mix just a couple weeks ago for that third fourth seed now they've fallen out to eighth um obviously the big news out of Miami Dwayne Wade's uh coming home you know he's played he played a few games for them before the all-star break um everybody's really jazzed to have him back but uh what what is what is the outlook for the heat for these next few games look uh
1: you know obviously listen to our show for for a much more in-depth analysis but um, to plug. you know to plug. miami's yeah that's the way we do it at 30 and 11 at the start <laughs> at the end of last season i think a lot of people expected this team to be very good we were wondering whether or not it was a mirage whether or not they would be able to continue it uh and remain you know, contain that uh that consistency there at such a high level but you know they re-signed a number of players awarded a number of large contracts and, and a lot of people had questions about whether or not this team would gel in, in, in a way similar to what they did at the end of last season. It hasn't always worked out, but there's been promises. There's been flash there at times. Deion Waiter's out for the year, so they lacked a closer, but I think uh, bringing a guy like Dwayne Wade back helps in that regard. Um, and, and, you know, look, this is a team that plays at a very high level on, on in spurts. They can defend very well. Uh, they limit three-point shooting. Uh, They have a a legitimate rim protector in Hassan Whiteside. Their problem has been offense. Uh, You know, they depend a lot on their three-point shooting, particularly a guy like Wayne Ellington, who has had a really, really impressive season for Miami, even if he didn't have an impressive showing at the All-Star break. Um, You know, he's been very, very good for Miami's offense. So, um, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as the next few months of the season, it's about staying consistent. You know, All-Star, Goran Dragic, a phrase I thought I'd never say. Uh, has been really good for Miami but even still he's not necessarily a superstar level player. He's not a guy who's going to give you 30 points on a night when you need them. Wade isn't that player anymore. So it's it's offense by committee. They look to everybody for everybody to contribute at a high level. That's the only way they can win. And their high level is about 12 to 15 points per game. So I mean they're looking yeah. for eight or
0: nine players to chip in and have that kind of offense on a nightly basis. Or for like one guy to take over. And for a while there in December particularly, it was Josh Richardson who was just taking was. over. I think uh if if one of these guys could step up and they look, Kelly Olenek's been out, they need him back on a bad way. Um, because he really helps kind of boon that offense, especially in the fourth quarter, when they've typically been struggling in that third and four, in the second half, the third and fourth quarter. Uh, they need to get Olenek back. They need to get more out of Drogic, like you said. I think they need more out of Richardson on consistent. If one of these guys could just sort of be the guy. Um, and that's asking for a lot, but that's what you're sort of asking for when you trade two first-round picks for Goran Dragic. Um, yeah. that's, that's what you want out of a guy like Josh Richardson, who, yeah, he was only a second-round pick, but they signed him to an extension early in the season, and he's, he's in Miami for the next four years, or at least he's under contract to be. And that's what you want from a guy like that. Uh, they've got to figure out what Justice Winslow is still, because he was playing back a point guard, and now that's Dwayne Wade's role. Um, so what's up with Justice Winslow? you got to figure that out for them. Uh, Bam Adebayo continues to develop and be impressive for them. Uh, I think that the worst case scenario, you know, looking ahead um, past even this season is the team we just talked about is Charlotte. Like the Hornets in a two or three year span signed a bunch of big contracts and those, those contracts largely did not work out. And now they're stuck with them. And I think for Miami, that's what they're that's they could be looking down the barrel at a situation like that. where Hassan Whiteside's 20 plus million dollar contract is untradeable. Where where a guy like James Johnson and Deion Waiters and Tyler Johnson can't be dealt and you have to wait out these long these big deals and um, that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is that they live up, they meet or, or or live up to those expectations that come with those deals and you're able to package together some of these guys for for the right star piece. That's probably the best case scenario. But that's it. That's all up in the air right now if you're Miami. So what you're doing now is obviously the playoffs are a focus for them. There's no reason for them. I mean, there was a reason for them to tank, but it's too it's too late. Like if they would have tanked at the beginning of the season, their pick is top seven protected. So they would have theoretically been able to do that. Um, or, or else it goes off to Phoenix for that Dragic deal. But right. this is a team that is not thinking about tanking. They're never going to think about tanking under Pat Riley's uh, regime. So it's going – the, the the deal here is they've got to make the playoffs cuz they really wanted to make the playoffs last year. They didn't um cuz they lost the tiebreaker to Chicago. They really want to do it this year. They're probably not going to have that finish like they did last season, but uh uh they do need to make a push here to 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 hang on to the A seed or or better yet even improve for them. Um yeah, let's and, and, okay. well, no and and look for Dwayne Wade and the
1: impact he can make. Obviously, yeah. I think he's you know, he's no longer the superstar he once was, but he can still have a positive impact. Watch how he plays alongside Miami's bigs and if he's able to make a positive impact as a mentor even for guys like uh you know uh, Richardson and even Dragic who he played with a couple seasons ago in Miami so that's that's definitely something to keep an eye out when you watch Miami later this season all
0: right let's talk about their uh Florida State partners here the Orlando Magic I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about them David because they just suck to watch and they're not fun to talk about I mean Aaron Gordon's their best player. He's been really good for them. He's a three-point shooter now. Um, he looks like a franchise cornerstone if they manage to to retain him. Um, yes. And uh, that's all I've got to say about the Orlando Magic. What say you? <laughs> Look, their expectations were higher this season. I
1: think uh, they had hopes that they'd be a playoff contending team. They started off the season really, really well showing a kind of dynamic offense and three-point shooting um, that made them one of the better offenses in the league. Honestly, on a par with Golden State, yeah. that tapered off. wasn't really sustainable. That, that was
0: for like a four- or five-game stretch there, right? <laughs>
1: <was about> <laughs> I think it was a little longer than that, but yeah. still, obviously, uh, not long enough to really probably this team into the playoffs. Things fell apart. Injuries hit. Uh, Aaron Gordon missed has missed a bunch of games. Um, You know, they're they're in a a bad place right now because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen in their future. They've got Mario Hazonia playing at a high level, but he becomes an unrestricted free agent after his third season in the NBA. Uh, He could sign anywhere. They just traded away Alfred Payton, their first round pick from a couple seasons back for Mm -hmm. a second round choice. And Gordon while he's a very fine player, may not be the kind of centerpiece that you can build around. So they're they're kind of stuck there with a number of bad contracts, particularly, uh, you know, Evan Fournier. He's not a superstar. He's a fine player, good shooter. Uh, Bismack Biombo is getting paid a heck of a lot of money for being yeah. one of the worst offensive players in NBA history. Um, so they, they're they're struggling. I mean, the good news is that Gordon is expected to come back from a hip injury that kept him out of the slam dunk competition soon. And Jonathan Isaac, their rookie out of Florida State, who showed some real promise off the bench, uh, is bouncing back from injury as well. So over the last 20 games, again, I, I think this is a team that could be a definite spoiler in the Eastern Conference playoff race.
0: Um, I wouldn't I, – I don't know about that. I, I think they're just – I don't know if they could be a spoiler. I just – for them, look, if they when they get Gordon and Isaac back, I like Jonathan Isaac a lot. I think they've figured out their situation at forward between Gordon and Isaac, and if nothing else, they've gotten that. They just haven't been able to find a guard for a very long time, like dating back to when Dwight Howard was there. Like if they had a guard that could really do something, they probably win a title with Dwight Howard, but they, they weren't able to do it. Um, love Jameer Nelson. Nothing against Jameer Nelson, but they needed something extra. Um and they've been struggling to do that. And their center position is, is a mess. Like they've probably should have traded Nikola Vucevic last year. Um, his trade value dec- has declined. And uh, Bismarck Biyombo is one of the, another one of those bad 2016 summer contracts that is just not going to work out for them. And it's going to be, it's going to anchor their, uh, their cap situation for a little while here. So um, nobody's going to help them out with that probably, unless they put a bunch of assets on top of it, which they, yeah, they can't afford to do because they need them. They need draft picks to find their next, you know, team that that could be anything close to a playoff team Um, let's move on to the our last team we're going to talk about here the washington wizards 33 24 33 and 24 right now fourth place in the eastern conference look um they've kind of been in that fourth team in the east all season but there is a clear delineation between them and the top three teams you know when we talk about boston cleveland and toronto there Uh, And this is right, I think, what we expected out of the Wizards going into the season. They are who we thought they were, right?
1: There's holes there. And, and, you know, obviously with their backcourt, they've got the chance to be a very good playoff team, but not ultimately one that's going to really contend for Eastern Conference supremacy. They're not going to take the Eastern Conference throne from Cleveland or a team like Toronto or Boston. So you're absolutely right that there is that big gap there. They've gotten some nice contributions off guys off the bench. Otto Porter, who signed a huge contract this past season. Kelly Ubra Jr. has been a nice perimeter defender and scorer for them. So there's hope there. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's also issues going on, whether or not, you know, this team can continue to get along with a player like John Wall, who's rubbed some uh, some of his teammates the wrong way in recent weeks. He's dealing with an injury that's going to keep him out for a few more uh, weeks, I think. Uh, and they've kind of bounced back after his loss. That they, You know, they – Mm-hmm. They all maintained, and I talked to a lot of guys in the locker room. They all said they were obviously a better team with John on the roster, but that doesn't change the fact that they're playing at a very high level without Wall there. And then he made some comments to the media that kind of, you know, showed that there might be some divisiveness there. Uh, I wonder if that's going to play out later on this season when they're, you know, when they're going to have to have games come down to the wire that they need to win in order to make a, a final playoff push. You hope we wonder whether or not. Uh, there's going to be any kind of uh, in in locker room in house fighting or anything like that that might change the, the the dynamic of this team.
0: I mean, if I'm a Washington basketball fan, that's I'm freaking out about John Wall because you know stars are on the move every couple of years or at, lately every year in the NBA. And if you think about which one might be next, if you were to if you were to play a game and say hypothetically which is who is the next star on the move, John Wall's near the top of your list, right? Just because of all this stuff that's happening, he hasn't been happy. It, or he hasn't been elated to be in Washington, I should say, in the last for the last few years, and it would make sense if he wanted to change the scenery, especially if you think about the Wizards. Late, like they just they've they've not been better than the whole than the some of their parts. You know what I mean? Like you think a team with John Wall and Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, who's been really good for them, should should be better than or at least more consistent than what they have been, and they just haven't. Um, And it's unclear what the fix is to get them up to that next level because they've been about this good for a long time. And even as Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre, like you said, they've gotten better this season, the team really hasn't gotten better in a weird way, even though they're getting more from other players outside of Wall and Beal. So um, Wall's obviously injured right now, wasn't able to participate in the All-Star game. Um, But uh, when they get him back, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I like Washington. I like their parts. I wonder if you know that chemistry could sort of start to come get come together. Winning obviously creates chemistry, or maybe at least the facade of chemistry. But there, something needs to happen. Some sort of on a molecular level, like something needs to get fixed here for them to be better than what they are. Or, or down the road, you start thinking about you know maybe this is a Los Angeles Clippers situation mm-hmm. type thing. I don't know. Um, but uh, for watching. Do they
1: hang on to that fourth seed, or does Indiana, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, or Miami surpass them?
0: That's kind of what I wanted to ask you. You beat me to it because I don't know the answer.
1: I, I don't either. Uh, I think
0: they hold on to it, to be honest with you. I just don't yeah. see enough out of – unless Milwaukee really
1: continues to play at an extremely high level, I don't see either of those four teams really being able to you know, get past Washington. I think there's still enough there. Between the play of Beal and, you know, eventually when Wall comes back, I think they'll be enough to just, you know, do enough just to hang
0: on to that fourth suit. They're more talented probably than any of these other teams when they get Wall back. I mean, Philadelphia is young. Milwaukee obviously has Giannis. But I think from, you know, from one to 15, Washington's probably still the most talented team among the group. So if I had to bet a dollar, I'd bet it on Washington. But I'm not expecting to get that dollar back. I don't know. I don't. (laughs) It it really, like I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter. It just (laughs) At this point, Washington would play the Pacers in the first round in the playoffs. Um, and I wouldn't, I'd, I'd probably pick Washington in that series, but I wouldn't feel okay. good about it. I just, you know, they're just so inconsistent. There's You don't know what to expect from this team. That's a good point. Uh, that's all we have for today's episode. We'll be handling Tuesdays for the rest of the season, but tomorrow's show will be run by a whole new set of hosts. So make sure you tune in for the latest news and updates. Make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA and the Locked On Podcast Network and leave us a five-star review so more people can find the show. And you can do that on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on the Locked On NBA Podcast.